Thank you. Um, so listen, last night, um, I, didn't, I didn't know that I was um, speaking today, um, but Pastor Gail asked me to speak. And last night, the Lord led me to the story of Abraham. And as I began to just really read about Abraham, it ministered to me um, in such a way that was so personal and it really challenged my belief. Now, a couple of months ago, um, I posted something on Facebook that the Lord gave me in my morning devotion where he spoke and he said that we're in a season where God is not necessarily working to convert sinners to Christianity, but he's working to convert Christians to believers. We, we can't even go after the world and people that don't know God or believe in God because we have so many Christians that are not believers. Listen, most of us, how many of us grew up in church? I want you to, let's take a poll. How many people grew up in church? How many people didn't grow up in church and you weren't raised a Christian? So the reality is, of all of us that grew up in church, how many of us had parents that were Christians? So the reality is that most of us inherited our faith. We inherited our religion. We were raised in it. We were taught. It's the same reason that you run into people that are Muslim because they're born into it. Because I sit and think, now, why? You know, when I'm sitting there getting my nails done and I'm looking at that little statue of, of Buddha with all the fruit and the bananas on it, I'd be trying to figure out, like, now, why would they serve him? Like, I'm trying to wrap my mind around like, okay, I can understand. I'd just be like, okay, I can understand the older people, but the younger ones, I'm like, how? But the reality is they've inherited their religion. They've inherited their faith. They're taught. It's passed down from one to the other that this is what um, we are. We're, we're Buddhist. We're Christian. We're Muslim. And we teach it from generation to generation. And just like many of us that were raised in the church or that may have um, been adopted into the family of Christianity, just because our parents took us to church, they said, you know, you're going to church, you're going to be a Christian. But there comes a point in every last single one of our lives where we have to choose for ourselves, where life confronts us and what you were raised in no longer matters. It's all about what you truly believe for yourself. Because think about it, for, for those of us that were raised in church and those of us that grew up in church, at some point you was wilding out. Now, if you just walk the straight and narrow the whole time, congratulations. But let me say something to you. There came a point where I was like, I want to figure out what they're saying I can't do and why. I want to figure out what's so fun about all of this because it looks mighty fun. And so there's a departure, but then... There comes a point where God begins to reveal himself to you for yourself. And it's not just about what mama taught you, what daddy taught you, what anybody else. If you don't reach that point where it becomes real to you for yourself, you now live in unbelief. And so 2020, it, the last 10 years, there's been a dismantling. If you've noticed, if you've paid attention, there's been a dismantling of this 
uh, belief system, a lot of religion, a lot of things that don't work. God has been slowly tearing them down to rebuild. And 2020 is almost like the icing on the cake. It's like the icing on the cake to where everything that you thought this Christian life was about, you're going to find out if what you have is really real. When stuff is something about loss and things being taken from you or you losing things, you start to figure out what the foundation of your faith is really all about. Some of us have come into Christianity because we've been taught it's some sort of frequent flyer club where if you rack up enough miles, you can cash them in for something really nice. It's this club we get into that if we do everything God wants, somehow our life becomes this great and wonderful thing. But let me tell you something. When you really come into Christianity, there's a lot of struggle and suffering that is shaping and molding you and teaching you character and building things in you. It don't look anything like a frequent flyer club for a minute. A lot of the benefits that we read about, we can't seem to find them because what God is doing is exposing all of the hidden agendas and side of us. Sometimes the things that we've been taught by our parents or by other people concerning God that if you just do everything he wants your life is going to be great but I found out if you're doing everything he wants sometimes the struggle gets greater. And so what starts to happen is when we go through seasons where things become difficult he is now bringing you to a place where church isn't just about social circles or or community, or any of those things, is what you have with God for yourself. And so as I woke up this morning, I was looking through some of my emails, and I saw a quote from um, another pastor where he was talking about belief. And then I went into the office, and my husband said, you know, I feel like you're supposed to teach today. Has God said anything to you? And before I could even say, he said, I want you to teach on belief. And so tonight, I'm going to be talking to you about belief. You see, it's impossible to truly believe in God outside of experience. Our experiences either confirm or deny his reality and further confirm all the possibilities of God in our life. Like he is graduating us from this elementary faith and this elementary belief and this introductory faith that we have where we just been grandfathered into the body through our mothers and our fathers and whoever else. And maybe some of us came to faith because we started dating somebody who was a Christian and so we just came into it. But it has to come from... It has to graduate from a place where it's just an inter introductory belief into something that is real and something that is substantial. And God is not unreasonable. He does not expect you to build this faith and this belief without experiencing him. If experience was not a necessary thing, Jesus could have just took the death for us in heaven. He could have just took the deed, died up there. We never had to see him. But God sent him here for us to experience him, for his disciples to begin to experience him, for them to see what it was like for, for a deity to walk this earth as a man but be triumphant. It was their experiences with Jesus that transformed them. And so experience is a necessary component, and I'm here to tell you that in the coming seasons, many of us who have not experienced God at that level are getting ready to. 
because it will be the anchor. It will be the thing that ties you to him, that keeps you with him, where you're not so easily moved away, where you do not wander and gravitate away from him. And listen, you can go through many things in life, but there are certain things that you experience with God that anchor you, that keep you with him. No matter what happens, there is the, when the voice comes and says he's not real or he doesn't care, it is your experiences that begin to teach you, listen, I don't care what it looks like right now. I don't care what it feels like right now. This looks contrary to everything that I know about you, but it's like it's your experiences are an inner witness and a testimony of who he is and his reality. And even if it's going against everything you're experiencing in that moment, your experiences with God are the thing that will keep you. And many of us are in need of experience. And so in Hebrews 11 and 6, I want to begin to deal with belief. And it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, reward in this verse, we, we all just look at that as, well, he's going to pay us and he's going to give us what we're praying for. But when I see the word reward, that equates to me as experience. Because when God begins to answer your prayers or when he begins to answer what you're diligently seeking for, and when you know that it is something that only God can do, this is experience. This is when you begin to experience him. There's multiple ways, but sometimes it starts with our prayers. And so I want to break down this first. When it says, and without faith, this comes from the Greek word pistos, faith, trust, fidelity, confidence, belief. It is impossible. It, this word breaks down as incapable. Without faith, you are incapable of pleasing God. And to please him in the Greek means to gratify entirely to give service to, to give pleasure to. It is your faith. Without this, you are incapable of giving him pleasure, giving him delight, giving him full service. For he that comes to God, when it says comes to God, in the Greek it means when the, the person who visits, approaches, worships, or assents to. The one who worships, when you come to him, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes must believe that he exists. Belief in this verse means from pistis. It's the same thing as to have faith or to entrust. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards. Listen, this word reward, in this verse, it means a rewarder or a remunerator. Now, I want to really hone in on the word remunerator. If you can put the definition up there, it is one who remunerates to pay an equivalent for, to pay an equivalent to for a service, loss, or expense, to yield a recompense for. The Bible is saying that to come to God, you must first believe that he exists, that he's real, that he's alive, that he's aware, and that he is a remunerator. Listen, that he is the one that repays you for everything you've lost, everything that you give, everything that you pay in advance, every expense that you lay down for him. If it's your life, every sacrifice, that when you're coming to him, your faith is saying, I know that I haven't done all of these things in vain. Faith is saying, I know that I have not laid down my life or given the things that I have or 
cried the tears that I've cried or done the things that I've done in vain because you are a rewarder. You are a remunerator. You are the one that looks at everything that it costs me, every expense that I've paid, everything that I've willingly done in faith. You look at it and you say, I will repay you for this. That he is a rewarder of the one who earnestly seeks him to seek out, to seek after, to require, to search out, to investigate, to crave, to demand, and to worship. This is what this means. That he is real. And the reality is, I don't, I don't think that there's many of us that have a problem believing that he's real. We believe that he's real. I believe that everybody in here believes that he's real. But it's not just believing that he's real. It's believing that he's for you. Because, listen, we have no problem listening to everybody else's testimony. We have no problem hearing what he's done for everybody else. We love it. We'll, we'll celebrate. We'll sing it. But then we'll sit and say, but that's not for me. Even if we don't um, verbalize those words, they're in our heart. That we think that God has specifics and that he does certain things for certain people. But we have not graduated to a faith that is personal. And tonight he's here to make it personal. Hmm. And so I want you to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're talking about experience tonight. What experience does. Some of us have not even asked God to help us experience him. We believe that we experience him when we come to church. But, but really, when we're coming to church, we're bringing the experiences we've already had with us collectively. And that is why he's here, because we're bringing our experiences. This thing has to be personal. It has to be something that's day-to-day, something that is with you, some, some way that you experience God where you know his reality. The more that you believe is possible, the more that it happens. And so in John chapter 4... We're dealing with where the Samaritan woman had met Jesus and he transformed her life. He pretty much read her mail, told her, like, listen, I know everything about you. And not only did he speak to her and transform her, but in verse 39, it says, From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Listen, after she encountered Jesus and she experienced Jesus, she went back to her town and she told everybody about her experience with Jesus and how it changed her life. And the Bible says that all of the Samaritans, many of them rather, believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all of the things that I have done. And so in verse 40, it says, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, 
It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is the one is indeed the savior of the world. Listen, it graduated from hearing about my experiences and my testimony. Like many of you, you've heard about what God has done for somebody else and what he's been for somebody else. But listen, the Samaritans, when they heard about what Jesus had done for the woman at the well, the Bible says that some of them believed. But when Jesus came and stayed two days, when they experienced him for themselves, they said, now we believe for we have heard your word and we know that you are the one and it is time for some of us to graduate from hearing somebody else's testimony and believing for that and experiencing him for ourselves and growing into a faith that is personal that is transformational that is different and so you know I said at the beginning of the message that God is bringing us into a place where he's converting Christians to believers. But not just converting Christians to believers, he's also converting those who once believed back into belief. Because listen, this this journey with Christ, this walk with God, it goes in phases where you may have been so strong one day, you may have been so sure, you may have walked in a place where you were so close with God, but life has a way of coming in and disappointing and hurting and defying what you thought. Listen, especially if you join this thing because you thought it was a frequent flyer club. If you thought that this was going to be a cakewalk and then life come along, something about your belief gets shattered. And so some of us are in seasons where God is rebuilding our belief because we have been hurt. We have been disappointed. Life has come in. It has torn down. And God is not just converting those who came in into an elementary faith, but some of us have gone through seasons where life has just completely shattered us, where we have tried, where we have put our faith on the line and it has been torn down and results have not happened. And we've prayed and we've fasted and we've believed and we've cried and still nothing And when we examine ourselves, we can be honest and say we are totally and completely in unbelief. If you can't be honest about it, are you really ready for it to be restored? And this is not a condemnation thing. This is just real. It's just what really happens. So even now in this moment, if you're struggling in your faith, if you're struggling in your belief, I want you to say, God, help me. Be honest about it. Say, God, help me. So I want you to turn your Bibles to John 20. In John 20, in verse 19, now in verse 18, this is after Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to her at the tomb, and she was so excited. This is after his death. 
And in verse 19, it says, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 23, it says, if you forgive them the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now verse 24, but Thomas was one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them, Jesus came. The doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. You know, as I read this passage, I wrote down a lot of notes and a lot of different things. And then I went upstairs and I started getting ready for church. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, why was Thomas missing? Why was Thomas missing? Why wasn't he there with the other disciples? Because when Jesus first showed up, to the disciples and breathed on them and gave them the Holy Spirit. When he was there with them, the Bible says Thomas was not there. And so just like people that experience God, they go and tell and they, they went and ran to the one that was missing and said, Jesus came and this is what he did. And Thomas said, your word is not enough. I'm not going to believe unless I touch his hands, unless I touch his side for myself. And so when the Lord said to me, why was Thomas missing? Thomas, when the Bible talks about him, every time it talks about Thomas, it said, and he was also called Didymus, which is a twin. So Thomas was a twin brother, and if you know anything about twins, if you've ever watched any documentaries on twins, if you've ever studied twins, it talks about the closeness that one can be all the way in the United Kingdom and another one can be in Africa, and if something happens to one of them, 
The other one has an unction and a sense that I should call my brother or call my sister. The closeness that is associated with twins, especially if they're identical when they're coming up. I've watched several documentaries where they talk about trying to capture their own identity. That for a long time, they've shared everything. They shared a womb. They shared a birthday. If they look alike, they share appearances. That many of them struggle to be in relationships, to get married. If it's two girls, they struggle to find a boyfriend because one feels like she got to have a boyfriend as well. It's this sense of identity where people don't just say, how are you? They want, when they see you, they say, well, where's your sister? Where's your brother? There's always this struggle for a separation, a closeness, but a separation where you establish who you are on your own. And the fact that every time the Bible says Thomas, it says the one they call Didymus. They didn't even call him Thomas. They called him twin. He couldn't just establish who he was on his own. He had to have either his brother with him or his sister. His identity was always known as being coupled with somebody else. But the Bible never says that his twin was a disciple either. Perhaps this was the first time in Thomas's life that he decided to step away from being the twin to establish his own identity. That he stepped away and he came into a sense of importance away from his family and away from this identity of having to be with his brother or having to be with his sister. Maybe this was the first time that Thomas was finding who he was on his own. And so I want you to pay attention. I'm going to read this and I didn't send this to the media team. But in John chapter 11... Jesus was talking to his disciple about Lazarus' death. He was talking to them about going back to go and check on Lazarus. And in verse 8, actually in verse 7, and bear with me, he said, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Teacher, The Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Listen, Jesus had barely escaped a stoning, and he was trying to go back to the same region to check on Lazarus. And so the disciples, just like anybody else, that's just like somebody, like Pastor Gail telling us to go down to downtown Detroit, the whole church, we're going to go down there and witness, and a mob get after the whole church throwing stones, and we barely escape. And then he's talking about going back down there again to check on Pastor Tim, who down there and don't feel good. How many of y'all going to be like, let's go, Jesus? Wouldn't y'all say, now, we just went down there, and all of us got clucked upside of our head with some rocks. Because, listen, when they said, listen, they just were stoning us, they probably were sitting there thinking, I still got a knot on my head. And you trying to go back there to check on Lazarus? Y'all not going to be riding out like, okay, yeah, let's go. Let's go check on them. And so the Bible says that the disciples reminded Jesus like, Jesus, they just got done trying to stone you there, and you're trying to go back and check on Lazarus, check on him. And so Jesus began to tell them, no, he's sick. We need to go. 
he's died. The Bible even says he references our friend Lazarus. They all had personal relationship with him. And so all of the disciples were quiet and all of them were, were scared and they were trying to talk Jesus out of going. But in verse 16, it says, therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, who is called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Listen, out of all 12 of the disciples, Thomas was the one to say, if it's for Lazarus, and if Jesus said it, let us go even if we perish. This is the confession of somebody who has completely sold out to the cause. This is somebody who has invested their life and their belief in what they are following. Because listen, it ain't real until you got to lay down your life. It's fun to go along with Jesus, to go along with the disciples, to be a part of the inner circle until your life is threatened. And the Bible says that out of all of them, Thomas was the one to speak up and to say, if we're going to go, let's go. If we die, we die. But I'm with you. And so when the Bible, when, when the Holy Spirit said, why wasn't Thomas with them? Why was Thomas missing? You see, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about time, Thomas, but when it does, he asks questions. He, he seeks deeper. He is the one to speak up and ask Jesus for direction. When Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and I will show you the way when it is time, Thomas was the one to speak up and say, how will we know the way? Listen, he was sold out to Jesus. He was sold out to the cause. We have given Thomas a bad rap. Nowhere in the Bible do you find the Bible calling him Doubting Thomas. You don't find Jesus mentioning his doubt and calling him Doubting Thomas. It is us, the Western church, that has put this name on him. When we talk about Thomas, we always talk about it in the phrase of him doubting, but the reality is Thomas isn't the only one. There was a doubting Shawnee. There was a doubting Marissa. There was a doubting Tiffany. There's a doubting many of us. Thomas is not the only one. And so back... In John 20, when we reference why Thomas was missing, in 25 it says, so the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. How does somebody that's ready to die and lay down their life get to a place where they refuse to believe without results? You see, there's something that happens to people that are sincere. There's something to ha that happens to people that have laid down everything. 
that have left their twin, that has left their family, that has left everything to adopt a new identity and a new life, and they're serious. I'm not talking about people that's half invested. I'm not talking about people that's fake, because when you fake, you don't feel nothing. But when you're sincere, when you're a real person, when you give, you give it all. When you're, when you're sincere, it doesn't just hurt, it hurts to the core. It hurts at the level of everything you've given. And while we're labeling Thomas a doubter, the reality was Thomas had invested his life. And the reason he probably wasn't with the disciples when Jesus showed up, he probably decided when Jesus died, what was all of this really for? Let me go back to the life that I left. Because when sincere people get hurt, they don't just stick around. They gravitate back to something that is dangerous. They gravitate back to where they came from because something about that pain, something about that disappointment, it is extreme. And so it determines an extreme response. Thomas probably said, listen, I was ready to die and lay down everything for him. And where is he at now? He's dead. He's gone. What do I go back to? I'm embarrassed. I done left my twin I left my family and now everybody is asking what it's for I can't even be around the rest of them maybe he thought the rest of them hadn't invested everything like he did because the Bible says he was the only one ready to go with Jesus and be stoned if necessary And so he probably retreated like many of us when we've given everything, when we've laid down all of our faith and all of our belief and all of our trust, and then we're disappointed. And then we hear the testimonies and we hear the people saying, believe anyway, trust anyway. And within yourself, you say, I'm not going to invest my heart again. This time I need a little bit more than just your testimony. This time I need just a little bit more than you telling me you saw Jesus and you telling me you, he was there and he spoke to you and he gave you the Holy Spirit. Cause this one hurt me a lot different than it did you. I need just a little bit more. And so while we're looking at Thomas saying, Thomas told them, I refuse to believe unless I feel it for myself. Guess what Jesus did when he showed up? He visited again and he visited to answer Thomas's unbelief. His second visit wasn't for the other disciples. This time he came personally for Thomas and he didn't even hear. He wasn't even there when Thomas gave the conversation, but he came in and the Bible says he addressed Thomas directly and said, come on over here. I want you to feel my handprints and I want you to feel my side. I heard everything you said and I've come for your unbelief. I've come to give you exactly what you've asked for because I'm more concerned about you believing in me than you demanding a sign. When you're valuable to God, he will go out of his way to prove who he is to you. While we're sitting there coming down on Thomas for unbelief, sometimes it is nothing wrong with asking God for a sign. When you've invested everything and when you're ready to lay down your life and you're ready to die for this thing and you get disappointed, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, I'm going to need a little something more this time. I'm going to need a bigger sign. He Listen, he didn't just ask for the experience the other disciples had. He was well within his rights to say, listen, I heard everything you said. It sounds great and it sounds fantastic, but I need a little bit more because I gave everything the first time. I was willing to die for this thing. 
I walked away from everything to be a part of the crew. I need a little bit more than what you said. I need to feel this thing for myself. Jesus unoffended showed up and said, I'm going to give you exactly what you're asking for. Do not be unbelieving, but you can feel my hands and you can feel my side. And I'm telling you tonight that for those of us that stand in that place to where we've moved away from the other disciples and we've gravitated back to a place where we're nursing our wounds and we're sad and we find ourselves in unbelief because of the things that fail. Jesus is coming to show up and give you signs to see that he is who he says he is and that his plan was a lot different than what you thought because every disappointment is a collision with what you thought it should have been in comparison to what it really is that it's much bigger and that it's much better than what we ever could have thought the bible says that those of us that believe in him that greater works than he ever did, we will do. And he's trying to get us back to a place where we really believe. Why wasn't Thomas there? Thomas wasn't there, just like many of us haven't been there. When you've, when you've testified and when you've, you've sacrificed and when you've gone without and when you've given, and things don't look like what you thought. We retreat. But Jesus is not offended by the struggle to believe. Because you know what? The Bible says, after Thomas went on his rant in verse 25, and he said, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into his side, I will not believe. In verse 26, it says, after eight days, eight, the number of new beginnings, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Listen, we'll go on a rant. We'll go off. We'll say what we're not going to do. That we sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of God. I'm sick and tired of church people. I'm sick and tired of everything. Y'all know once we get started, the sick and tires just come out real good. I'm sick and tired of this. I'm sick and tired of that. I'm sick and tired of your mama, your daddy, your sissy. Like, listen, we go. It just goes effortlessly. Thomas, Thomas went off, but the Bible says eight days later, the disciples was back in the room and Thomas was with them. We can go off all we want, 
But once you've been hooked, you're hooked. He was there for a whole eight days like, they ain't seen nothing. I ain't going to believe nothing until I see it for myself. But he was there. The Bible says he was there. It wasn't the next day. It was eight days this joker was hanging around. He probably was complaining the whole time like, y'all ain't seen nothing. I don't know what's in the evidence. But he there for eight days. The Bible says for eight days later, Thomas don't rejoin the crew. He probably complaining the whole time, doubting the whole time, and unbelief the whole time. But there was a seed that was already planted that said, maybe, just maybe, there's some truth to this thing. I'm willing to stick around. I don't have quite the belief and quite the faith, but I'm here. I'm hanging around and some of us are in that place where we have been crushed, where we're tired, where we've been, everything has just been torn down. But eight days later, we still hanging around and we saying, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe he's going to show up again. And the Bible says that Jesus showed up, walked in and addressed Thomas. And tonight is the night that he's shown up for you and he's addressing you directly where he's saying, if you've asked me for a sign so that you will believe, I will give you a sign for your belief. This isn't a selfish thing to where you're asking God, give me something so that I can be this or be that. But it's about him feeding what you need to believe in him. I understand the scripture that says, blessed are they that believe and they have not seen. But there are some of us that are not in that place to where you need to see something from God, where you need an experience, where you've gone through so much, where you've given so much, where you've experienced so much, where you say, God, I need a sign. I need a little bit more than somebody else's testimony. And I'm telling you tonight, God is more concerned about you believing in him than you just getting to this place where you're believing everybody else's testimony. He wants to give you one for yourself. Can you stand to your feet? John 14 and 12 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That whoever believes, not believeth, not believed, but who believes continually. That everything that we saw Jesus do, that we will do and more. And tonight, I am going to touch and agree with everybody in here. Father, I pray right now for every heart in here that is broken, that is quietly broken, that does not confess the heartache, that does not confess the sorrow, that does not confess the disappointment. Father, I pray right now 
healing to belief in this place. I speak right now and I declare experience with you. I pray that they will know you as the remunerator, the one who repays, the one who rewards as we diligently seek you. And I pray, Father, that those of us that have found ourselves in unbelief, that have found ourselves in a place to where our faith has been shattered, I pray right now just the rebuilding of truth that what we thought would be done away with and that truth would be the thing that remains. I pray right now answers to prayer. I pray that we pray pure prayers that are centered around our faith and our trust and our hope. And I declare answers that come from you. I pray that we would come boldly knowing that you hear us and that you see us and that that you sense the cry of our heart. I declare this now in the name.